0: Welcome, welcome. It is finally happening. This is the first episode of the relaunch of the Almost Shameless podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. And yes, I am your host, your solo host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been a long time coming. First of all, I am alone. This used to be the Fox and Fallon podcast. Uh, My former co-host Courtney Fallon has moved on to doing radio in Boston on WEI and she has her own podcast out there so this is this is a new endeavor for me. I got really used to having somebody to work with and bounce things off of and certainly this you know won't be only me all the time. I'll have guests on here and there when I can and and we'll we'll be mixing it up for you but you know it's just me now and I have to say it feels good. It feels good to be back on the mic, hearing my own voice, thinking my own thoughts. What more could an aspiring media superstar ask for than a platform with which to listen to themselves talk uninterrupted? As if I don't do enough of that on Twitter. As you know, I have been teasing this, um, the launch of this podcast on Twitter for a couple of weeks now. I did delay the the launch of the podcast because I didn't feel super comfortable with the idea of pushing out a new brand and flooding everyone's timelines and asking you to support an entirely new product last week when there was so much going on with the city that I live in mourning Kobe and Gianna Bryant and their seven friends who died in a helicopter accident tragically. And it was it was really, really heavy. And I know that it was felt all over the world, not just in LA, but specifically here, I have to say the energy was it was, it was tragic, and the whole city felt it, and I'm really glad that I gave myself the extra time to process that, uh, write about it, and really collect my thoughts, and I can feel comfortable moving forward this week and putting out the best episode possible. In case you are a new listener, I am addressing you quite late, so this is I'm already off to a great start, but if you are a new listener, I hope that you've picked up on the fact uh, based on the description of this podcast, that it is sports. It is all sports. I, uh, you know, I talk a lot of NFL, um, but really, this is just a place to talk about what's happening right now, and you know, uh, what people on social media that I'm engaging with are really interested in. I feel like I have a great handle on what's going on because I do work in production at Fox Sports One. I am in production meetings all day so luckily my day job keeps me in the loop but more than that it inspires me to weigh in with my own opinions because I do feel that the uh unique perspective that I bring isn't always represented on TV or in other forms so I hope uh you I hope you find me to be a fresh voice I encourage all of my listeners to, Engage with me in whatever way they want to. Um, All of my information will be provided to you in the show notes and as frequently as possible so that you can reach out. Share your ideas with me. I like to share tweets on here. I like to talk about, you know, what people think of some of the topics, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, going through emails. So this is an interactive thing. You know, I'm a solo host, so I need you guys to... You know, keep it dynamic, keep it fresh with me. Uh, and with that being said, let's uh, let's launch into what we're gonna really be talking about in this episode. First of all, I um, I do want to just touch on the Super Bowl. It was quite a game, so I have some thoughts about uh, the post Super Bowl Patrick Mahomes hype. That's going to lead us into Tom Brady and what his plans are going to be for the rest of the offseason. That is a constant point of discussion, even here in LA on the national network that I work for. So without further ado, let's get into it. Super Bowl 54 is in the books. The Kansas City Chiefs came roaring back from a 10-point deficit, uh, as they do, as they do. We, You know, going into the game, you knew that... A lead would have to be pretty big in order to feel like the 49ers were comfortable heading into a fourth quarter situation with Patrick Mahomes, and they had it, and they still couldn't hold on to it. Patrick Mahomes truly is everything he's cracked up to be. Uh, it was it was a honestly kind of a pleasure to watch. I was openly rooting for the Chiefs against all odds because my future mother-in-law is a diehard lifelong Chiefs fan. The last time they went to the Super Bowl, she was too young to remember. So this was the first time she's really experienced the joy of her team winning a Super Bowl. And she hates the Patriots, and she hates Tom Brady, two of my favorite things in the world. But she has always been super supportive of me over about the last six and a half years. The Patriots have played in four Super Bowls so and won three, of course. So, it, you know, she's had a lot to deal with. I couldn't have lived with myself if I was not rooting for the Chiefs. Uh so it actually was really fun because I got to experience, you know, watching the Super Bowl and having a rooting interest and feeling really invested while not having the jitters and the craziness of watching your, you know, your team in it. I'm a total nut job fan. I don't know about you guys, but I'm superstitious. I get anxious, I yell, I can't be around other people, other other friends. I have wonderful friends out here that I never get to watch the Super Bowl with because the Patriots are always there and I cannot be trusted to be around other humans in that particular situation. So it was a great game. Really happy for Andy Reid. I'm on the record as saying I absolutely 100% thought Andy Reid was a Hall of Fame coach before he won his ring. But I think that his longevity and the sort of the path he took to this moment the the greatness, the regular season consistency that he had throughout his career and then leading into building this team, this perfectly constructed Patrick Mahomes team, a team built to cater to his strengths, a team built to withstand large uh, deficits. It was really brilliant to watch. It was brilliant to watch him do it against the young wonderkind of Kyle Shanahan to watch the master at work while the young buck watches on in dismay, uh, he really overcame all the things we know about Andy Reid, all the game mismanagement and the you know the clock stuff and his inability to correctly use timeouts. None of that was really there. It was it was like he transferred all of that to Kyle Shanahan, and he finally hit his stride. It was a pleasure to watch. The big story, though, at least in my mind, has been what has happened after the fact and how people are speaking about Patrick Mahomes in the wake of this. Now, I would like to be quite clear. What Patrick Mahomes is doing right now is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in the first two years of a starter in any of the professional, major professional sports leagues in this country. I don't. LeBron didn't start out this hot. I'm trying to think of even Mike Trout. These guys that have that are truly already first ballot Hall of Famers. You know, four or five years into their league, you can tell they're special. He has done all the things that a superstar needs to do. He has taken advantage of great coaching. He has made the players around him better, and he is individually truly special and truly great. Uh, an exceptional talent, an exceptional leader. Smart football player, he sees the field in a way that's very—it's—it's it's beyond his years, and he is poised to absolutely run this league for the next ten to fifteen years, if not longer. You know, uh, the way that we're the way the quarterbacks are lasting now, he could play into his forties, of course. So we could have Patrick Mahomes with us for a very long time, and I hope we do. Having said that, there is a lot of Patriots and Tom Brady fatigue that is feeding the overreaction to what we're seeing from Patrick Mahomes. Almost nobody is capable right now of of taking a step back and looking at this as an individual moment in time. I think part of that is fed by the fact that he had an MVP season last year and that led directly into a Super Bowl ring and a Super Bowl MVP. It's a lot to declare somebody a future GOAT and perhaps the start of a dynasty when all of the things that we've seen from dynasties in the past, you, you don't see it until you're, you know, four or five years into it. That's how dynasties work. They have to happen over a specific length of time. They don't happen in one or two seasons. It's that's contrary to the very definition of the word. I I also think that there's the short memory thing, you know, the recency bias that happens when we're watching something truly great happen in front of us. We want it to be special. We want it to be a moment in time that matters because right now it's all that matters. You always want to feel like you're part of some iconic moment. I'm going to take you back a few years, almost exactly a decade, to Aaron Rodgers in 2010. Actually, let's start with 2009. It's his his real breakout year. The Packers go 11 and 5. Uh he is selected to his first Pro Bowl. Completes nearly 65% of his passes for 4,434 yards, 30 touchdowns to seven picks. Finishes the year with a passer rating of 103.2. Okay? Everybody is aware at this point. Aaron Rodgers, this is the guy that The Packers have been waiting on. He's been waiting in the wings. He had to get his, you know, he had to get his lumps out in that first season in 2008. But now he's on a roll. This is a Pro Bowl quarterback. 2010, Aaron Rodgers goes 10-5. and He completes 65.7% of his passes for 3,922 yards, 28 touchdowns, 11 picks. Guys, he goes on to lead the Packers to the Super Bowl. They win the Super Bowl he is named super bowl mvp now 2011 is is where things really ramp up he is now the reigning super bowl champion he is the reigning super bowl mvp and he has statistically one of the greatest seasons in the history of the nfl currently his 122.5 passer rating that season is the highest single season passer rating for a quarterback that started 12 or more games in the history of the NFL. He threw 45 touchdowns and six interceptions. He completed over 68% of his passes. Obviously first team All-Pro, obviously Pro Bowl. The team goes 15 and one. Obviously that year they don't make it to the Super Bowl, but he's the league MVP. So this is a three year span. His real breakout season in 2009, we see how special he is. He goes to the Pro Bowl 2010. He goes to the Super Bowl, wins it, wins Super Bowl MVP. 2011, he puts together one of the greatest quarterback seasons we've ever seen in the history of the league and wins the league MVP. I know some of you are too young to recall this, but most of you are not. He was absolutely the anointed one. He was the next great quarterback we were ever going to see. He was going to change absolutely everything that we knew about quarterbacking in the NFL. He, The Packers were going to be the next great dynasty. Well, the Packers haven't been back to the Super Bowl since, and Aaron Rodgers is undoubtedly a first ballot Hall of Fame talent. It's not even a question. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks. His prime which may or may not be over. I'm not willing to completely call it off, but let's say it's over. His prime was, it was exceptional. At any point in time, he could change the game. At any point in time, he could win it. He could just turn it on and change everything. And the way that we talk about Patrick Mahomes right now in the wake of this, the last two seasons through the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP is exactly, exactly how we spoke about Aaron Rodgers back then. And let me be clear: as incredible as Patrick Mahomes was in 2018, it still doesn't, you know, it doesn't compare quite to that season, the 2011 Rodgers season, the 2007 Brady season. So I guess my, my point of my point in telling you this is that we have seen Hall of Fame first ballot talent explode so obviously in front of our eyes, like this before. We like to act like we've never seen anything like Patrick Mahomes, but we have, and his name was Aaron Rodgers, and he is going to be the easiest Hall of Fame vote for every single person lucky enough to be voting for it uh, five years after he retires. It's going to be so easy. And he has one ring to show for it. No dynasty. Now, do I think Andy Reid's a better coach than Mike McCarthy? I do. I also know that Andy Reid is about 12 years older, than Bill Belichick was when he won his first ring with the Patriots. Uh, So if he's going to get a dynasty going, it's going to have to be pretty swift because you know, he's no spring chicken. He's already into his sixties. And while I certainly think he could coach easily for another 10 years, I think when people speak about a Kansas city dynasty, they're not talking, nobody's talking about 20 years. We're never going to see that again. They're talking about probably a six or seven year span and it's time to get cracking. You know, Andy Reid is, he could retire tomorrow and his legacy is set. So there are a lot of things at play here beyond just Patrick Mahomes' ability to put this team on his back this year. You know, I, I think that the Chiefs weren't always the best team this year, but they certainly had the best player. And sometimes that's good enough. And this year it was. This year, uh, the Patriots weren't the team that they've been in years past. And there was a power vacuum that was filled by the Chiefs. Getting to roll through the Texans and then the Titans to get to the Super Bowl worked to their advantage, of course. Uh, That isn't to say I really don't think there was very much talent outside of that maybe if Baltimore had had made it through maybe they'd have given the Chiefs a little bit of a struggle but you know the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC this year and they won the Super Bowl things change quickly in this league and it's time to just pump the brakes slightly on the idea of a dynasty we don't have to pump the brakes on Patrick Mahomes he is who we thought he was and he will continue to be that He will continue to be one of the best, if not the best players in the NFL for every single moment that he's healthy and on a football field for the foreseeable future. But we've seen players like that before, and it doesn't always translate to a dynasty. It takes a lot of things coming together. And maybe it will for the Kansas City Chiefs, and maybe it won't. But there are more examples of it not coming together than there are of it coming together. That's an easy segue into the dynasty that may be coming to an end. Uh, Tom Brady has not decided what he's going to do. Reporters can't seem to figure out what he's going to do. Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft haven't figured out what they are going to do, which has left all of NFL Nation, you know, really, really reaching for ways in which to understand exactly what could happen here. It is unprecedented for a quarterback who will be 43 at the start of Uh, the season to be such a huge part of what the league is going to look like moving forward. Uh, If he stays with the Patriots, what does that look like? Are they holding on too long? Are they able to put together one last run? And if he leaves, we all know. I don't have to tell you what that's going to do. It's going to turn everything upside down because if he leaves, it's going to be for maybe reasons we can't quite comprehend. You know. That's why I turn to people like Tom Curran, He is uh, admittedly a friend and somebody who I trust because I've worked with him in the past and also because I just, you know, he's proven himself time and time again to be a reliable source of information. His uh, latest article yesterday, in terms of his reporting on the situation, stated that basically Tom isn't set on a money amount. It's more about feeling like he's respected. And for Tom, Feeling respected means having the pieces around him that he feels he can succeed with. He thinks like a coach. He certainly uh, considers himself to be on that level for obvious reasons. He's as old or older than many of the current offensive minds in control of offenses around the league right now. So it's hard to blame him for thinking that, you know, he could kind of step into a Personnel decision making type role as a player. You know, he's the closest thing that you're ever going to get to a player coach in modern sports, All as it is. Uh, but he also happens to have the greatest coach of all time in charge of his team and therefore his future with that team. But according to Curran, it's really about finding that balance between getting paid and making his money and being appreciated, but also just having the guys around him he wants to have around him. And it seems like it might not be something that he's willing to compromise on anymore. So in the search for answers, Tom Curran published a piece today. It was amusing uh, on what Brady might be looking for if he were to leave the Patriots. And he came up with an interesting theory that maybe he'd be the Pied Piper for an NFL super team somewhere. Uh, which is to say he would compile a bunch of other free agents and players who want to play with him and not take just himself to another team, but himself and a, a super team of offensive skill players that he wants to team up with uh, who would then basically recreate the offense wherever they go. It's obviously not the most likely scenario, but let's play it out because... Again, this is a smart person uh, proposing this this possibility. Tom writes, If he does hit unrestricted free agency, those around Brady believe the market will be hot. Just as important, it's believed other free agents will clamor for the chance to go where he lands. Because of his reputation, resume, and work ethic, Brady is unique as an NFL free agent. In the right situation, he can affect a culture change greater than the one Peyton Manning brought to the Broncos in 2013. And that's why when we look at NFL have-nots, that missed the playoffs, the presence of Brady and whoever wants to ride with him can quickly turn them into halves. Now, there's a couple of thing thoughts I have about that. First of all, what Peyton Manning brought to the Broncos in 2013 uh, was on the heels of what he brought to the Broncos in 2012, which was an excellent season. He'd already been there. So Peyton Manning was 35 when he signed with the Broncos. He was 36 when they went to the Super Bowl and ha- he had that incredible season in 2013. Okay, Brady is going to be 43 at the start of the season. This is a totally different ball game you're dealing with because at that point, it you, you know there was a potentially you know four or five years for the Broncos to get out of Peyton Manning. Now he fell apart qu- quickly. Brady's decline is much much slower, but Brady at 43 years old is not playing quarterback at the level that. 36-year-old Peyton Manning was. Now, Peyton Manning put together quite a season with a litany of players on his team in 2013. They went all the way to the Super Bowl and got their asses absolutely handed to them by the Seahawks. They just got absolutely fucking destroyed. So this isn't a situation where, like, everything worked out for the Broncos. At least not, you know, not because of Peyton Manning, right? I mean, Peyton Manning got them to the promised land and then that offense couldn't hold up against the defense they ran up on. It, it was it was a pounding. Now two years later, they make it back to the Super Bowl, and Peyton Manning is a shell of himself. He's carried on his on the defense's backs. Von Miller does everything he can to get Peyton Manning that last ring, and everything works out okay. You know, that Broncos defense is what bails them out. So I guess this is all to say that while I respect Curran and where he's coming from and even believe that there are reasons to think that teams might be considering this or at least might, you know, sit down and have a chat about it, I find it hard to believe that people are going to look at the Peyton Manning situation as a way to try to decipher whether or not it could be viable for their team, you know, this would have to be a team that's willing to throw away any chance at a long-term in favor of uh, potentially a one- to two-year short-term with Tom Brady. Now, there are there teams that would do that? Oh, sure. You know, I, listen, there are teams that would do that. Would Brady be good enough to have an offensive powerhouse throughout the regular season that could sustain itself against whatever inevitable solid to excellent defense they play in the Super Bowl were they to get there I don't know you know uh, Brady with Belichick is a different beast because there is a system in place that has been in place for 20 years that allows Brady to thrive whether he feels like that or not you know there's this new narrative emerging about how Bill Belichick has really let Tom Brady down by not surrounding himself with the talent that he deserves that's the, the national uh, conversation that people are having. It's certainly the conversation that the talent at, at Fox Sports 1 have been having. Belichick owes it to him to get him more players, surround him with the talent that he wants. It's, it's, all, it's bordering on fake news. Bill Belichick has been one of the best general managers in the league. He is the creator of the, the vaunted Patriot way. This is a team that won a Super Bowl one year ago. And before that, they went to the Super Bowl. And a year before that, they won the Super Bowl. And two years before that, they won the Super Bowl. And for eight straight years, they were in the AFC Championship game. So where exactly is Tom Brady being let down by Bill Belichick's general managing? Yeah, this year did not work out. I mean, the the talent just didn't come together. And there were some missteps along the way. But drafting Nikhil Harry was for the offense that was for Tom Brady. It's just that rookie wide receivers don't tend to do well in this offense. It's really complex. They are asked to do a lot. He was hurt. Believe me, Nikhil Harry is going to be great. Sony Michelle has done what he needed to do and he'll continue. I really do think he'll continue to grow as a player. Belichick's been trying to use the draft. He's used his last three first round picks on offensive players that are really talented. So enough with blaming the GM Bill Belichick on not giving Brady enough. They've Brady has played in nine Super Bowls, and he's played in four of the last six. What are we doing, people? I love Tom Brady, and I really want him to stay. And I do think there are lessons to be learned from what went wrong in this last season. Belichick has to be more aggressive in free agency and prior to the preseason in acquiring the talent he needs on offense. We know he can put together a defense on the fly if he needs to. And he put together an inc- a wildly impressive defense this year. It was a, a truly a chef's kiss performance for Belichick as his own defensive coordinator with that defense for De- Stefan Gilmore to win defensive player of the year as a cornerback only the second time in the last like 30 years that that's happened. It's truly impressive. And it was a brilliant move by Belichick. He rarely pays players. He rarely picks up players like that. And, he, and, he, and Stefan Gilmer has been invaluable. That defense has been invaluable. Their special teams has been invaluable. The offensive line and what Skarnakia did for years and years have been invaluable. That is the definition of a franchise that has set their Hall of Fame greatest of all time player up for success. And I'm a little tired of the notion that they haven't done enough for Brady. Yes, he's taken pay cuts. He knows he's taken pay cuts because it was the way to get the roster that he wanted. It was the way. That's how they've been getting to the Super Bowl. You know, the Chiefs got to the Super Bowl this year with a quarterback who's making absolutely no money. That's how it works. Highly paid quarterbacks don't win the Super Bowl. Go look it up. Go look up the contracts of the guys who've won the Super Bowl. Truly, go look it up. They are not the highest played players in the league. They never are. So I, you know, I absolutely think that it would behoove Bill Belichick to take a little bit of his pride and sacrifice it in service of Brady having some of the players that he wants around him. Brady is a smart enough offensive mind and trustworthy enough uh, that he could actually have a say in, in acquiring personnel and, and who they bring in, and that that would be okay. But there also has to be some better play calling and some some more innovation on Josh McDaniel's side. You know, they they started to get really stale, even with what they had last year. There's some other things at play here. So enough. Enough with talking about what Tom Brady deserves from Bill Belichick. Belichick is clearly willing to bring him back. It it makes a lot of sense for Belichick to want to keep Brady. He's going to have to draft a quarterback or bring in some free agent, you know, like a Nick Mullins or a Josh Rosen or somebody, and that person is going to have to play behind Tom Brady. And if Brady doesn't want to go somewhere where there is a quarterback behind him that may or may not eventually take his place before he's immediately ready, then he's welcome to do that. But anywhere else he goes is going to have far less loyalty to him and his legacy than New England. And his TB12 brand and his workout store and all the protein powders that he's selling in New England Whole Foods... All of that is going to be left behind so that he can go play with Antonio Brown somewhere. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. And I'm starting to get tired. I'm just starting to get tired of it. And, and even the smartest people, the most in-touch people, the people with all of the knowledge about what's going on in this organization, I feel like they're starting to lose it in search of an answer. I don't know. Until I hear otherwise, the, the only answer that makes sense is right in front of us which is that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick find a way to continue to do what they've always done, which is keep the league guessing, keep us guessing, and win in ways we didn't know they could. That's who Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are. And until they prove otherwise, I'm going to believe that who they've been for the last 20 years is who they'll be for however long uh, they continue on in the NFL. I didn't want to end this podcast without talking about Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant. I never thought that I would be in this position. This kind of celebrity death is quite rare, and it throws everybody for a loop when someone who is as vital and as much of a part of the fabric of our larger sports community is all of the sudden gone. It's uh it doesn't happen. And it certainly doesn't happen in the way that this happened alongside his daughter and seven of their friends. Uh, it is It has genuinely been jarring. Uh, anybody who goes through any level of grief and, and loss and, and trauma in their own lives is triggered when these things happen. And that has certainly happened for me. Uh, And living in this city, I am, I am, anybody who knows me knows I am a bit of a, I'm existential in a lot of ways. My mom is a card reader and she is a very spiritual, very spiritually in touch, we'll say. Um, And I believe in energy and I believe that the people who leave us stay with us after they are gone. So, it's very powerful I, I feel that energy around me whenever anybody has lost someone and in Los Angeles the whole city lost someone that was meaningful t- to them and I as someone from Boston who grew up hating Kobe Bryant um, it was a it was a very weird feeling you know t- to to feel that grief alongside um, the people of Los Angeles and I I didn't know how to articulate what I what I was thinking and feeling because I have so many mixed emotions about who Kobe Bryant was and who he became, so I wrote a column about it. Um, I I hadn't written in almost a year because I'd transitioned into my new job at Fox Sports One, but for for years and years I was a writer and a blogger, and it only felt right that uh, I express myself in that way. So I wrote a column, and instead of recapping what I said or trying to say it in a way that you know works on a podcast or anything else. I am going to read that, uh, as an essay at the very end of this podcast. So if you care to listen and and hear my thoughts on Kobe and his legacy, then, uh, please stay through the end of the theme music. And that's where you can hear that essay. So that's it. That's episode one. It's in the books. We did it guys and this was a really uh, a really great way for me to get back into this again thank you so much for listening thank you for supporting me I can't name all of you but there are a lot of people who you know I've never met who I only know through social media who have just been like incredibly just incredibly supportive and you know interact with me all the time and look forward to hearing my thoughts on things and and Just give me so much positive energy. So uh, thanks again for tuning in. This is going to be an every Wednesday podcast, so you can look forward to it popping up in your feeds every Wednesday. It will be on Spotify, it will be on iTunes, it'll be on Stitcher, all those places. I, I am keeping it on the same feed that Fox and Fallon was on for the sake of... You know not losing all of you guys not losing the subscribers so if you're already subscribed it's gonna pop up as almost shameless with tiny ray fox you're already there and uh feel free to to rate me you know give me those five stars and i look forward to getting episode two up and going next week we will see what happens in the meantime maybe just maybe tiny tiny bits of hope We'll have more news about Tom Brady, but if not, you know we'll have more theories. All right, that is it for me. Happy 2020. Let's keep the good vibes going. I am Tanya Ray Fox. I will talk to you next time. I never loved Kobe Bryant. I never idolized him. He never played for my favorite team and I rooted against him on the court. Always. I'm a woman with anger about the rape allegation that is inextricably linked to his legacy. I'm a Boston Celtics fan resentful of his five titles, one of which he earned at my team's expense. I also spent all of Sunday crying. Kobe Bryant's death was sudden and tragic and deeply traumatic and not because he was a hero or a role model, but because he wasn't those things. And it marked the end of an iconic man's journey to live a life more nobly with an unearned second chance that he seemed determined to make the most of. Many feel that the alleged rape in that Colorado hotel room and how he treated his accuser in the aftermath should precede any attempt to memorialize him and it's hard to blame them. But who would that preamble be for now in 2020? It's not for his wife and three children who have lost their husband and daughter and father and sister in unimaginable horror. It's not for his alleged victim who has understandably chosen to live her life in anonymity. It's not for other survivors of assault because who is left to face that belated reckoning? He died a brutal death alongside his daughter and seven others, her coach, her teammates, and their families, and the pilot all of whom have loved ones who deserve a semblance of peace while they deal with immense grief. Society unfairly decided a long time ago that Kobe had been forgiven. I never felt comfortable with it, but I've also watched him closely. I work in sports media and live in Los Angeles, where Kobe the myth and Kobe the man are barely distinguishable from one another. I've seen his impact. I know what he did to empower his daughters and how much he supported women's basketball and female athletes. I know what he means to an entire generation of NBA players who were inspired to become greater than their circumstances and to elevate their own expectations for themselves. Most profoundly of all, I see what he's meant to the nameless millions of Los Angeles for whom Kobe and the Lakers were an escape from the divisiveness of a city as segregated by wealth and race as any in America. When young kids in LA needed a way to connect with one another, Kobe and the Lakers were there. When people of different religions and cultures and incomes needed something to help them relate to one another, Kobe and the Lakers were there. When their counterparts in Boston needed something to unite them in collective hatred, Kobe and the Lakers were there. That's what people like Kobe become. Avatars for our basic human need to find something or someone to make us feel safe with one another. Athletes become fairy tales more than any other kind of celebrity. They're superheroes who come from our cities and towns and wear our colors and represent us to the rest of the world. Sports are tribal, and they're one of the few things our modern society has left that still unite more than they divide. Kobe was adversarial and flawed with an insatiable intellectual curiosity and ego. He was an arrogant, dangerous young man who grew into a moody yet charismatic adult adult and then perhaps inexplicably, a loving father and an inspired mentor. He began earnestly supporting young people in achieving their dreams. He genuinely believed in the power and talent of women in sports, and he didn't just talk about it. He walked the walk. Without any press conferences or official statements about his new philosophical approach to his own life, he just did it. When we lose someone who is universally beloved— and lived a public life of constant honor, it feels more like losing your favorite TV character than a real person. You miss the idealized version of the world you were able to experience through them. You can mourn them in peace, but Kobe and Gianna are something different. A man finally, maybe, becoming the best version of himself through fatherhood, and the child who helped to inspire that change. Kobe was mythologized and demystified so often across his two decades as a basketball superstar that we are left with Whiplash trying to decipher his true legacy. So for now, I have to settle for being honest about what he represents to me. By the time I had enough agency to explore professional sports on my own, because such interests were not fostered in young girls in the 1990s, Kobe was already a star. I don't know what sports look like without Kobe Bryant, and his shocking death has left me deeply sad. Perhaps it's because, in the end, I need to believe in a different kind of Kobe fairy tale, the parable of the man who hurts women and then stops the mythological changed man.